I remember about 30 years ago, I slipped into a Baptist church on a Sunday night, and I heard this sermon. The Baptist preacher was preaching on this text, and the title of this text was 10 Things That Are in Hell That Should Be in Every Baptist Church. It's about the only thing I remember about the sermon, but it was an intriguing title. I don't think Jesus tells this story to primarily teach us about hell. I think Jesus tells this story to disturb us, to cause us to stop and think about the resources of our life and the opportunities that we are given. And it's interesting that when you look at this story a little closer, you could call it the great reversal. In one sense, the first sense, the, the poor man, you see, is, is given a name. Do you notice that? He's given a name, Lazarus, and the rich man is nameless. Now, this is totally different than the way that we operate in our culture, in our society, right? I mean, the wealthier we are, the more we have a network. We're able to drop names. We're able to network with people to work for our advantages to get ahead. We watch out and look out for each other. But in Jesus' great reversal, the rich man who has a luxurious lifestyle, who gives no thought for the poor man Lazarus, he's nameless. But Lazarus has a name. And secondly, we find out that the one who isn't given mercy in this life, he's the one that gets mercy in the next life. Now, in the Jewish tradition, if you arrived at Father Abraham's bosom, his side, you had it made. You know, like in our Christian tradition, we talk about going to heaven and meeting St. Peter at the gate. You know, we've heard those stories and all those jokes about St. Peter at the gate. Well, in the same way in the Jewish tradition, ah, oh, when you were at Abraham's bosom, you'd made it to paradise. And Lazarus has made it. The one who didn't receive mercy in this life, he's the one that gets the mercy in the next life. Now, if the story ended right there, I would have been fine. But it's the third one that's most disturbing. And the great reversal is that those who isolate themselves in this life from the needs of others separate themselves from God. There's this great chasm that exists between Abraham and Lazarus and the rich man. And that chasm cannot be crossed. And when Abraham, or when the rich man, wakes up to this reality, he's so taken back by it, he, he, he asks for mercy from Lazarus. But Lazarus can't go to him. 
and then out of compassion for his brothers who were at his father's house, well, well send Lazarus to them. Tell, tell them so they don't end up the way I am in this torment. But Abraham says something very interesting to this. He says, no, they, they have Moses and they have the prophets. They can listen to them. Now, what, what, is, what does he mean by that, Moses and the prophets? Well, Moses was the law of the Old Testament, right? And the prophets filled with much of the Old Testament. And the law and the prophets, not in hundreds of verses, in thousands of verses. Talk about God's compassion and mercy for the needy, for the orphan, for the widow, for the poor, for the foreigner. Time after time after time after time after time. And for us, we have the Gospels. We have the New Testament. And if you were to put all the prophets and the words of Moses and the Gospels and all that together, in one sentence you might say it goes something like this. If you see your brother or sister in need, and you can help them, but you don't. How does the love of God dwell in your heart? For the gospel is not just about us believing the right things. Consistently in Jesus' story, it's about knowing Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you recognize him. You see Jesus in your daily life. And if we don't know him in our daily life when he's right there in front of us, how are we going to know him on the other side? How's he going to know us? So what do we make <laughs> of the gospel? What do we make of this story? How do we respond to it? Well, you know, I, I think one thing it does, it kind of nails, the, uh, put a nail in the coffin of this idea of prosperity gospel, that, okay, we give so that we can get more for ourselves. But also, I, I don't think it's teaching us a, a poverty gospel. I don't think it's teaching us, well, if you're poor, you're automatically spiritual. I think there's some folks that tend to enhance that kind of idea. Shane Claiborne, who spoke here at Schweitzer several years back, really, I think, has a good statement when he says that we need a third way, neither the prosperity gospel nor the poverty gospel, but the gospel of abundance rooted in a theology of enough. We believe in the gospel of abundance. We believe that God's grace and God's riches never run out. We do not believe that God's pie is confined to our limitations. And we believe that the more that we tap into the generosity of God and we practice that generosity, we don't have less, 
we have more. We have more of what really matters. And so we are privileged as God's people to be generous with what we have. Not begrudge what we don't have, but to be generous with what we do have. And so what we want to do is shift gears now, and I want to talk about how that we are practicing generosity as a community of faith at Schweitzer. How that we can see and minister to Lazarus in our community. And how that that might be helpful and how in some ways we might be harmful to Lazarus. Uh, first, let's talk about imaginal malaria. You saw the video today. You understand I'm getting old. You understand that, uh, you know, there's, there's only, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I've got disease and chicken pox and whatever. Uh, but here's the deal. Um, as I'm turning 60, I can imagine no malaria in my lifetime, okay? And, and so we, we only got a few years left. And uh, what we want to do in all seriousness is we really want to encourage everyone, everyone in this room, everyone in this church, to take a net and to fill this net with at least $10. Now, many of us can do more than that. It's hard for me to imagine that not any of us can put our coins and bills that we just collect from our change. Or what if we fasted one meal a week and we took the money that we'd spend in a restaurant and put it in here? And then on Palm Sunday, we bring this back so that we can imagine no malaria. The Bill Gates Foundation has come to the United Methodist Church. The United Methodist Church is the denomination best situated on the continent of Africa because of our health clinics, because of, of our presence uh, for years in, in many nations. African leaders are telling us that the one thing that we can significantly do with and for African people is to eliminate malaria. 650,000 people needlessly die from this every year. In fact, the narrative that Africans have is we will get malaria during our life and someone in our family will die from it. That's the narrative in many sections of Africa. And we want that narrative to go away. And so it's just very simple. We believe that we have an opportunity to minister to Lazarus across the globe through the Bill Gates Foundation, the efforts of the United Methodist Church, and significantly saving lives, reducing disease of this plight on the continent of Africa. That is one thing that all of us can respond to. Now let's talk a little bit closer to home. Schweitzer began last year a new church within our church called Church at the Center. And we have two people today that's going to join me now, Rich Flippin and Rhonda Galbraith, who we've commissioned from Schweitzer. They, are, they were members of Schweitzer. They have become a part of the Church at the Center uh, church. And uh, it's exciting to see how on this campus, they, we through them, are reaching people in our community. So... Thank you, Rhonda and Rich, for being here. I really appreciate both of you and, and have really uh, 
been blessed by, by knowing you and continuing to see you at work. Uh, tell us uh, about how that uh, Church of the Center is reaching into the neighborhood. Some of the things we do is uh, through different programs. We do our second Sunday outreach program. We go out, we do things as simple as walk the neighborhood, talk to people, meet people, ask them if they have a belief, ask them if they have a church community, ask them just to come check us out, meet us. Um, we meet people going through the pantry. Uh, second Sunday, we also go out, we do laundry love. We go mainly to the daily wash, we sit there, we pay for people to do their laundry. We don't do it for them, we do it with them. We discuss to see if they have a belief, if they have hurts, if they have needs, and we talk to them. Once again, we invite them to come visit us. Uh, we've done things, we've done, done beautification projects at some of the uh, apartment buildings around, talking to the people in the apartment buildings. We reach out asking people just to come check us out, the hopefully bringing people to Christ. We've to date, I've had four baptisms. Um, we do the uh, all pro uh, father thing at Bingham every uh, once a month on Fridays at Bingham Elementary. We're reaching out, trying to get people come check us out, um, just to introduce them to, to Christ, to the, the grace of God. Thank you. One of the things that I really hear in your response there is uh, relationships. You're, you're into relationships with people in this yes, neighborhood, sir. in this community. How uh, is sharing your faith, practicing your faith, um, changing you? How is it affecting you? I would like to share um, that my journey started right here in this sanctuary about three or four years ago. And there was a sermon series on um, how to share your faith. And I've always kind of lived by the thought, oh, well, they'll just see it in me, and they'll want it, and it'll happen, kind of like osmosis. And I was challenged through that time, through that series, and through some additional Bible study that um, it's not quite like that. I really need to be bold, and I really need to actively share my faith because they, can't, they can just see the good in the things that I do and the things that I share, but do they know where the source of that is? So um, it's, I'm a slow learner, so I, like I said, that was several years ago. So I started looking for places and ways to do that. Um, when I heard about church at the center, I decided I would check it out. And the first Sunday I was there, they had moved into uh, the Family Life Center here and were having worship here while they renovated the outreach center. And I remember one of the things, Mark's sermon that Sunday was, you know, this isn't the greatest facility. This isn't, we don't have, they didn't even have a worship team at that time. They were playing Pandora, the free version, so you'd hear a commercial every now and then. Uh, we don't have great music, and he was like, I hope we don't necessarily ever have great music and great facilities and great this and great that because we serve a great God. And um, that's the core at Church at the Center is to build those relationships with people, and with is our, is our favorite four-letter word. Um, 
that we enter into those relationships with people. We, when we do laundry love, when we do uh, neighborhood beautifications, we are doing it with them and building relationships with them. And we don't just then walk away and leave mm -hmm. them. We invite them in. Um, so I was really uh, drawn to your um, Pray, Study, Grow material for this week. I read it online. I mean, if you guys aren't participating in this, you really need to. I'll plug that for, for Bob because you. <laughs> how, you get it on Sunday morning in your hand. You get it every day in your email. Open it and read it because the prayer that is for this week says, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but grant us eyes to see. Where is it that God, what is it that God wants us to see? And stir up holiness. I love that phrase. Stir up holiness in our minds and our hearts and our hands to act. And then the next word is to sustain. It's not a one-time missionary uh, event. It's a way to sustain and carry on the kingdom of God right here on earth. So with that, I won't continue, uh, I won't take up all of Bob's sermon time. But um, if you are looking with eyes to see, and the holiness within you is stirring you to want to move to action. There's lots of things you can do right here, but I would really encourage you to look and pray about your involvement at Church at the Center. Uh, if there's anything we need, it's shepherds. We've got lots of sheep, and we're lots of lost sheep, each and every one of us. And we could use um, people like you and people that you know um, to do this work of God together. Thank you. Thank you, Rhonda, and thank you, Rich. Appreciate your words, and uh, appreciate the word with, the idea we do with folks. Lazarus uh, is in our midst. And uh, as Lazarus is in Africa, we, we can't really do we can do for him, but we can't do with him as much. But we can do with, uh, and, and the ministry of Church at the Center is about being with people. A third way in which we are really moving forward at Schweitzer in this understa understanding of relationships and being with people is Transformation Hub. It's a new ministry that is evolving. It's a ministry that's being led by Pastor Jason Leininger with a skunk team of 14 people. Uh, and what they're trying to discern is when you look at the greater Springfield community, this is a generous community. And this is a community that is made up of a lot of poverty. And that poverty is on the rise. And in our Springfield community, there's a lot of agencies and churches and organizations involved in serving needs, in, in helping with immediate needs. Or, but, but the challenge is, how do we enter into relationship with people? Florence's question is at the heart of what we're wanting to accomplish with church with uh, transformation hub how do we help people be champions of their own cure in other words how do we stop 
treating chronic problems in a crisis mode. There are many of us, many in our community, who are in a crisis mode every, every day. But how do we stop and be in a relationship with Lazarus? How do we get to know Lazarus? How do we help Lazarus to know the connections that he could make in this community? Is, are there some Lazarus that can find employment? What are the ways that we can assist Lazarus in being the champion of his own cure? So Transformation Hub will be bringing to us in August some initial specific ways in which we begin to do more than just serve the needs of others or the crisis needs or provide food which are important but it goes beyond that how are we in a relationship with Lazarus there's many Lazaruses in our community and by the end of this year there's going to be hundreds of opportunities for all of us to help in some way well in, the, in, in just a few minutes that I have remaining, I want to talk about then individually, how do we respond to all this as an individual person? And classically, you know, we can think about the resources of our life in three different ways. In terms of our time, in terms of our talent, in terms of our treasure. In terms of our t time, all of us are given the same amount of time in a sense, right? All of us have 24 hours in a day. But we know that it, dependent upon the season of life in which we're in, we know that there are more demands upon some of our time than others. We know that some of us have more discretion in our time than others. That's a given. We understand that. But we all have a certain amount of time. Some of us have more time available than others in which to be generous. But ask yourself, what, are, what am I doing with my time? Do you know how many hours the average, average American watches television each week? Anybody know? Now, NCAA basketball, it's different, you know, when that's going on. <laughs> 28 hours a week. Do you know how many hours the average American spends on the internet? A day. How many a day? Two at least two. So, if my math is right, that's 42 hours a week I'm, on, I'm watching a screen. How much of that is productive time? Some of it might be. But it makes me stop and think, whoa, what am I doing with my time? What am I doing with my talent? We want to encourage you, if you've not done this yet, to go to the Schweitzer link, S-U-M-C, dot co slash discover sumc dot co slash discover it'll take you to a link where you can take a personality indicator on yourself as well as a spiritual gifts inventory this does not take long you begin to identify where God has given you spiritual gifts you understand more about your personality how God has wired you think then about your experiences and your natural abilities and then just stop and ask yourself the question of my talents 
that I've been given in life. In what ways am I using that talent to glorify God to help other people? How am I using all my talents, all the resources of who I am as a person to really glorify God to help other people? And then treasure. Some of us make more money than others. Some of us have more demands on our money than others. And yet all of us have a certain amount of resources financially. How generous are we with what we have been given? Friends, down to my bones, I want you to know this. Down to my very bones, I believe in the practice of consistent, regular giving to God. And I believe also in the opportunities that God gives us beyond that consistent tithe to be aware. And if you and I, again, stop and ask ourselves, of all the resources financially that we've been given, if we believe it belongs to God, can I spend some on myself for pleasure? Certainly. But how can I create, through some frugalness, which is not stingy, but frugal, create margin in my life, margin in my finances, so that when I am given an opportunity to respond to someone, and I've got that relationship with that person, I'm confident this is going to be something that's more than a band-aid, something that is going to help someone to find the resources within themselves that I want to be able to have some resources to do that. So in my time, in my talent, in my treasure, how can I be a person that practices generosity? Matt Johnson said it well. He says, generosity is other-centered, whereas greed is self-centered. What kind of a person do I choose to be?